Cole Sear is a troubled nine-year-old boy. He has no friends, his parents are divorced, and the only person he can talk to is Dr. Malcolm Crow, a disgraced child psychologist who sees Cole as a way to redeem himself. But Cole has a terrifying gift. He can see and talk to the dead, to ghosts that he sees walking around him at all times. But the only way Cole can make peace with his situation is to hear these ghosts out and help them through their pain in the 1999 horror phenomenon, The Sixth Sense. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Julie Cervantes. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday and welcome to episode 125 of the Filmgasm podcast. I'm joined today by Julie Cervantes, the only person on earth who didn't know about the Sixth Sense big twist, but that's changed and we'll get to that in a bit. (laughs) Um, The Sixth Sense is one of the most successful horror movies of the 90s, was nominated for a bunch of Oscars and remains the best film by the divisive M. Night Shyamalan. Once again, there is no rewind this week, so let's jump in with both feet. Julie, the listeners may not know this, but I don't pick the films for this show anymore. I leave it up to you and Josh, and I'm just along for the ride. So, Julie, why did you choose The Sixth Sense? Well, just for the fact that we were talking about it in a different episode, and you're like, there, there's a twist. And then I was like, there's a twist? And you're like, what? Are you talking? You don't know what it is? I'm like, no. And yeah, so I was just like... I thought The Sixth Sense was just like a basic ghost uh, movie. I didn't like, I didn't think anything of it. Um, I thought it was one of those movies that you don't really have to see. But like, I think now like it is. Um, But anyway, I wanted to watch it just to see why my parents have that movie in their collection because they're like Christian and everything. And they, they don't have a lot of horror or thrillers in their collection. So if they have that one, then maybe it's probably good then. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, this film kind of straddles the line. A lot of people don't really consider this to be a horror movie. Uh, I don't know if I, I, I do label it a horror movie because it's got, I mean, it's, it's, there's some scary scenes in this movie, but I think it's a very compelling drama too. And I just, I'm blown away that this is by the same guy who would go on to make so many shitty movies. I, I don't know what happened to this guy. M. Night Shyamalan was a promising up-and-comer in 99. He had a string of good movies, and then somewhere around the mid-2000s, something changed, and he just couldn't, he couldn't fix it. I don't know what happened. But mm. we'll, we'll dig into that. Um, so The Sixth Sense was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, burst onto the movie scene with this film, had many critics calling him the next Hitchcock, which was pretty high praise. Uh, Shyamalan was nominated for Best Director and Best Screenplay for this film, which he would follow with a string of hits like Unbreakable, Signs, and The Village, before everything fell apart for his reputation with Lady in the Water, The Happening, The Last Airbender, and After Earth, all of which were massacred by fans and critics alike. He gained a bit of momentum in the mid-2010s with The Visit and Split, but everything fell apart again with Glass in 2019. So here's hoping his new film, Old, which comes out in the fall, will be a good one. Have you seen any of those movies? Any other things by M. Night? I've seen Split and After Earth, and I really like those movies. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I don't... I, I just think... I, I can see why people wouldn't like After Earth because it's like basic, but I, I'm like, I, I love sci-fi. So like anything that's sci-fi, I'm going to like it no matter what, even if it's crappy. So like, I like Split as well. What did you think of that movie? I loved Split. I thought that was a brilliant movie. Um, especially the end when it was revealed to be a secret sequel to Unbreakable. That blew my mind. But I think it's a. I, I think he has talent. I think he's a very good filmmaker. I just. I think he lets his ego control his decisions, and when you do that, you end up with bad movies. Because I've, you know, from what I've seen, he's. I mean, he's responsible for one of the scariest moments of my life, <laughs> <laughs> with signs. 
I mean, oh, I've yeah. talked, yeah, I've talked about that on this podcast a lot when I saw signs of the movies with my parents and the alien walked across the screen and I freaked the fuck out. Yeah, I remember seeing signs with my parents. It wasn't in theaters. It was at, at home on DVD or something. And I was really intrigued by, by how slow it was because it was like building up to this creature. And when it finally hit the creature, like I was like sweat. Like I was sweating because I was like nervous. It's like, shit, it wasn't going to look like. And it was really creepy. And like in the music and everything, it just like made it even more creepy. So I love that movie. I love the acting in it. The acting is amazing. <laughs> yeah, Signs is a favorite. It's one of, I think, the most realistic alien movies I've ever seen. Like, when, and I, I mean when, this planet is invaded by aliens, it's, I feel like it's going to feel like that. It's going to yeah. be subtle little things in, you know, on the news, people kind of concerned, weird lights, and then just overnight invasion. Like, silent. <laughs> yeah that movie fucked with my head for a long time <laughs> yeah i i think the creature i don't know how the creature would like i mean it could look like that because humans look weird like we look like aliens to like other aliens so it could look like anything yeah we'll see have you heard the i don't know if we've talked about this all of the all of the podcasts are starting to bleed together to me because i've done over you know nearly 200 of these <laughs> but <laughs> Did I ever talk to you about the theory that it's not an alien invasion, it's in fact a demon invasion? No. It's a really cool theory because the whole movie is kind of based around faith. You know, Mel Gibson's character is a former minister, lost his wife, lost his faith because of that. And then this invasion thing kind of reestablishes his faith. And there's little hints throughout that these aliens might actually be like, demonic forces like uh for example the water that hurts them there's an ongoing theory that it's not just water that hurts them it's holy water that hurts them because it's water from the house of a minister oh yeah yeah that's a really cool theory yeah i can see that yeah it's kind of cool it kind of paints the whole movie in a different light especially when you know the whole thing's about you know there is no such thing as coincidence. Fate is, you know, leading everything up to this moment. It's weird to mix religious imagery and aliens, but it makes sense if it's religious imagery and demons. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's a cool way to kind of look at that movie. Yeah. I mean, but, aliens could be seen as demons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe like symbolically, whatever's not in the Bible, AKA aliens is like ungodly. I don't know. I don't have a lot of religious background. I just like movies. (laughs) Um, But M. Night is good at that. He's good at kind of bringing larger than life concepts down to a level where you can really kind of understand in a realistic way how it would happen. He does that with the sixth sense with ghosts. And he does it in Unbreakable with superheroes. So I think he's he's got really a he's a great storyteller. He's got a, a talent, but he's been stepping on his own feet for God knows how long now, and he really needs a win. <laughs> um, Bruce Willis stars as Doctor Malcolm Crow, a child psychologist battling his own demons and struggling to save his marriage. Willis, known more for his action films, delivers a poignant and powerful performance far outside of his wheelhouse. I was very impressed. I mean, this is a guy who will take a paycheck for anything. I mean, he hasn't done a legit film in a very long time. So to see him kind of step out of his comfort zone and actually act is pretty cool. And I think he did an amazing job. Yeah, he did really good. Um, he he has a kind of slow personality which kind of it kind of fits in he's like less calming personality so you can see him being like a psychologist or he was a therapist right mm-hmm. so yeah um some of willis's other out-of-the-box performances because we've he's come up on this show before when austin and i did the fifth element we talked a bit about his action side some of his you know out there performances include death becomes her Looper, 
Pulp Fiction and Unbreakable once again with oh Emma Oh my god, he's in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> those are so different in character. Wow. Okay. Wow. He's great. Have you ever seen um, Death Becomes Her? No. I think you would really enjoy that movie. It's it's a black comedy about this horrible actress who's also a horrible person played by Meryl Streep who steals her best friend's husband, Bruce Willis, who's a plastic surgeon who uh, drinks too much, loses his license and ends up being like a mortician. And um, (laughs) the ex, uh, her name's Helen. She's played by Goldie Hawn. She concocts a plan of revenge to kill her best friend for constantly stealing her boyfriends. (laughs) And it, it's such a layered movie. It's hilarious. There's also like, they both die, but they took a potion that made them like eternally young, but because they died, they're slowly rotting away because they have eternal life, but you know, they're dead. (laughs) So it's a weird movie. It's a really tough to explain movie, but Bruce Willis is this just goofy plastic surgeon with, without a spine who's just kind of like, know groveling the whole movie until he finally stands up for himself and it's 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 one of my favorites Uh, well i like meryl streep so i mean probably like it in this movie she plays a bad actress which is so weird (laughs) (laughs) so Um, ironic yeah we're definitely going to do that on the show at some point that'll be fun um moving on oscar nominee Haley joel osmond plays cole sear the little boy who sees dead people Osmond was nominated for his role in The Sixth Sense and is one of the most popular child actors of the early 2000s, appearing in films such as AI, Artificial Intelligence, Forrest Gump, Pay It Forward, and Secondhand Lions. As an adult actor, he stayed mostly in the indie film scene, appearing in such films as Tusk, Entourage, and Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. He's also voiced Sora in the American version of all the Kingdom Hearts games. So he's had a very interesting career. Uh, (laughs) As a child actor, he was incredibly recognizable. You know, I see dead people has become one of the most recognizable movie quotes of all time, but he grew up and that's kind of the curse of child actors. You you grow up and most of them do. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The roles tend to dry up and It's, he's grown up and I don't want to, you know, I don't like making fun of the way people look, but well, here we go. Um, his face is really small. It's like everything grew up except his, his face. Yeah. <laughs> so I get why he's, he hasn't really taken off as, a, as an adult actor. Haley Joel, if you're listening to this, I apologize immediately. <laughs> I'm a fan. I am. <laughs> I mean... Are there any kid actors that grow up to be just as good as an adult? Oh, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't happen often. A lot of child actors are end up with, like, trauma because of everything they go through in Hollywood. You know, parents who force them into the life or abuse from producers. It's, it's dark. But some actors, you know, escape that. Like, you know, Ryan Gosling, Kurt Russell, they were, you know, Mickey Mouse Club Disney kids and they grew up well, to become... Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Gosling, like, a kid kid? Because I remember him, like, as a teenager, but not, like, a kid kid. Oh, yeah, he was he was part of, the like, the Mickey Mouse Club and he was, like, seven, eight years old. He was, like, in the industry from the beginning and then he just, he grew up handsome and talented, so he kept getting work. <laughs> wow, well, I hope he, he's liking the stuff he's making... <laughs> oh yeah it's interesting to look at that you know kids who were super famous as children and then disappeared mm-hmm. uh that's an interesting topic for later oscar nominee tony collette plays lynn sear cole's struggling single mom collette was also nominated for her performance in the sixth sense and is an immensely talented actress who comes up quite a lot on this show we've already done four of her films here and one on oscar sunday Hereditary, Velvet Buzzsaw, Knives Out, Krampus, and Little Miss Sunshine. She's clearly a favorite of ours. <laughs> I love her. And like her acting has been consistent because I watch this movie and like I see her, the emotion she has in this movie. 
like reflect in all her other films I'm like wow she's kept the same amount of talent like since years ago like why isn't she like you know nominated or for an Oscar like has she been like I mean I don't know yeah just once and it was for the sixth sense just once damn <laughs> yeah she's never she should have won for hereditary I will preach that till the end of days like that should have been her Oscar I mean holy shit and she's just incredibly talented and I respect the hell out of her. Like over the course of this show, she's become one of my favorite actresses. I mean, I love that she always tends to play a mom. She just got that mom tone. I don't know what it is, but she always plays a mom. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's working well for her. Mm. I don't know what other role she can use that amount of emotion for. (laughs) Well, in this, I mean, she, she steals the show in some scenes. I mean, it's believable that the scene at the end in the in the car where Cole is telling her about, you know, grandma's proud of you. I have ne- I have not watched that scene without bursting into tears. I have never been able to hold myself. Like last night I was fine. That scene came on and I was like, oh shit. And I just fell apart. It's so powerful. Those two bring it so hard in that scene and you just feel it. It oh God. Mm. Yeah, well, now I feel emotionless because I didn't shed a tear. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe just because I'm used to watching sad movies. Um, like, I don't know. I used to cry a lot. Um, just like um, Disney movies, especially Inside Out. Obviously, we talked about that. Um, so I don't know. I guess you, they just really have to pull at my heart, like, to make me cry. But, like, she did so well in that scene. Like, she stole the, the like, all the you know, the, the light in that scene. And then she also had the spotlight in, in the dinner scene or whatever, when she's like, did you take grandma's, it was a watch or necklace? It was a, a like a pendant, like a brooch, I think. Oh yeah. She, <laughs> it was, that was all her scene too. Like she knows how to like gravitate the attention on her. I, all right, I just want to bring this up. I, <laughs> I am an, I am a very easy cry when it comes to movies. I get emotional really easily. And if it's, if it, if the stars are aligned, if everything is working, if I can feel my heart being pulled by something, it's going to like Niagara Falls is coming. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. I love that a movie, when a movie can do that to me, when a movie can legitimately elicit an emotional response then I'm immediately like, that was a great movie. And I've had that happen, like episodes of TV shows. I mean, it's rare, but it does happen. There was an X-Files episode that destroyed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Supernatural series finale, I've never cried harder in my life. Like, it, it, no, it hits you sometimes. It's just, it's a good, it reminds me that I'm human and I'm not a sociopath. I think for me, what makes me cry is like innocence because it's in a, adult that's like crying I don't really feel bad for that <laughs> if it's like a child or like someone that's innocent or someone who like helpful like helpless in a situation or they know that they can't fix something like Iron Giant for example like when the giant has to go in the sky he like he can't do anything about that and then like um there's I don't know other examples of but yeah <laughs> I think it's just children for me for some reason um, I actually keep a list just to be like, you know, so I have um, something to, you know, reference movies that made me cry. And, um, yeah, looking on this list, it's all kind of the same vein, mostly, uh, mostly dramas, uh, mostly historical dramas like that actually happened. Cause I can like, kind of feel like, Oh shit, this was real. Mm-hmm. Those always get me. And then just the occasional Pixar movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I just remembered, like, an example. Like, Interstellar, I didn't cry when there were adults and he was crying. I didn't give a shit about that. (laughs) I cried in the beginning when he had to leave his child, and she was, like, running after him. That made me cry so hard. And that was the beginning of the movie. I was like, oh, my God. This is the beginning of the movie. I, upon my most recent watch, I burst into tears at the beginning of The Lion King. (laughs) <laughs> as soon as that sunrise starts and circle of life starts playing 
I was four years old again and I'm just like, ah, <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> there is one exception though. The Crucible, you've seen The Crucible, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, the ending scene, something got me. I think it's because in that sense, he's innocent. Like I was saying, like he's an innocent man and he can't help what happened, you know? So like, yeah. There's this show I watched or I used to watch on CW called Legends of Tomorrow. It was a uh, DC comics time travel show. It was like the B-list characters from Arrow and the Flash got their own show. And um, there's an episode that was a crossover where they were all fighting like evil Nazi versions of the heroes from another dimension. It's a weird show. And um, one of the main characters uh, gets mortally wounded. And the kid he's like friends with, the, guys, the guy who gets wounded is an older guy, an older scientist who befriended this like mechanic because they can combine their energies and become the hero firestorm. I don't have time to explain. <laughs> and the guy, the older guy is mortally wounded and he takes the other guy and is like, hey, you, you're like a son to me. And they, there's this whole speech and I did not expect it. I did not expect to feel that. And it, did, it wrecked me. It got me crying. And I was like, touche, shitty teenage soap opera with superheroes good job <laughs> yeah I, wow. I like a badge of honor like that's how i consider it <laughs> professional like crier goes to connor <laughs> it's a good feeling it's you know it's cathartic I mean, you have emotion which is good yeah like, some people don't care like like i care half the time some people don't care at all and they just don't have any emotion <laughs> it's yeah it's wild i can't imagine not you know if I didn't feel something from movies, why the hell would I be doing a podcast about them? <laughs> Clearly, I care. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on. Olivia Williams plays Anne Crow, Malcolm's distant wife. Williams has also appeared in such films as The Ghost Rider, In Education, Rushmore, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, and she's set to appear in The Father, which comes out this Friday. Expect a possible summation on the sneak preview on Monday. That's our other show. Finally, Donnie Wahlberg plays Vincent Gray, the deeply troubled former patient who shoots Dr. Crow at the beginning. Wahlberg, brother of superstar Mark Wahlberg, is a founding member of the boy band New Kids on the Block and has appeared in such films as Saw 2, 3, and 4, Ransom, Dead Silence, Righteous Kill, and the TV series Blue Bloods, which he has a lead role on but I don't really watch cop procedurals. I don't know how these shows last 11 seasons. Yeah. Uh, uh, but he is, Donnie Wahlberg is, I mean, it's only it's a brief role, but holy shit, is he good as Vincent at the beginning? Mm -hmm. I mean, you feel that. Whew. Yeah, I thought he was going to come back like later in the film just because of how good his role was. I was like, he's not done, is he? <laughs> but he yeah, that happened. The gun. that actually would have been interesting you know he was he did kill himself so what if you know what if cole met vincent that would have been a very interesting way to go oh yeah he could have showed up later my god m night why didn't you do that <laughs> <laughs> oh. um the sixth sense has an imdb score of 8.1 which is insanely high a rotten tomato score of 86 percent it grossed $672 million on a budget of $40 million. It was nominated for six Oscars, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Haley Joel Osment, Best Supporting Actors for Tony Collette, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Did not win, was defeated for Best Picture by American Beauty. A great film that has not aged well because Kevin Spacey is a pedophile. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you want in-depth analysis on that stuff, check out Oscar Sunday. Uh, so let's talk about some stuff we liked from The Sixth Sense. This was your first time with this film, so I'm very intrigued about what you thought. Um, you watch a lot of ghost movies? Um, not at all. Just a few, um, like The Others, which has a twist in it, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, Casper. <laughs> I don't, yeah, no, not really. Oh, well. The Others, I wanted to like that movie so much. I've seen it twice now, and I just, it's so boring. I can't, 
I like the twist, but I knew the twist before I saw the movie, which really- It's more of a drama, right? I don't know. Horror and drama, I tend to lean towards horror when it's in both those worlds. Yeah. It's a good idea. And we will do it on the show at some point, but I just, I don't, it's not, it doesn't get me. It doesn't get me. Not like the sixth sense gets me. And I don't mean scared me. I mean like draws me in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Casper's great. Brag about Casper. It's a great movie. <laughs> I watch that every Halloween. Um, oh, cute. Like yeah. the, the end where he's like, can I keep you? Oh, so cute. <laughs> um, but I like the way that the ghosts are portrayed in this film as not evil, just tortured. You know, these are people who were killed, people who died with unfinished business, and they have no, no way to move on. And is this like purgatory, sort of? So that's kind of the vibe I got. Like this is where they're trapped until they can move on. And a lot of these people, you know, you get the vibe that this is a rare gift that might be brought on by trauma. Uh, considering Cole and Vincent both had it, uh, but that that you know talking to these people or it's the only way to, for these ghosts to move on and these people are terrified of them. They don't want to talk to them. So it's an interesting way to do ghosts, to not make them inherently scary, but just people who, you know, can't, they just can't. <laughs> it's broken people. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that they aren't making them to be uh, mean or like evil there's like so many movies nowadays makes the the ghost or the creature whatever evil um doesn't have to be like that and i like that they what they did with the little girls scene and they like that was really cool way to show what happened to her and everything who put moving on to that real quick who put the camera there that's what i was thinking and then um I asked somebody that and they were like, well, she was recording her puppet show. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That clears that up. Thank you for that. Yeah. That seems heartbreaking. I just, that somebody would do that to their own child for attention is so fucked up. I didn't want to believe it. I was like, is that just syrup? And, and (laughs) then no, it's like, I didn't want to believe that. (sighs) I've never seen anything like that in a movie ever like I don't remember seeing a movie where the parents like do that to their kid I I've seen well over 2000 and like I think 2200 movies at this point a lot of them were I have definitely seen that (laughs) I've seen a lot of parents want their children dead in movies it's like in hereditary with her like that's not when she was like gonna I think it was a dream sequence or she's like gonna you know, make her son catch fire and everything. Um, That's the only thing that I've seen. (laughs) There was this movie I watched a few years ago called The Harvest. It was uh, Samantha Morton and Michael Fassbender, not Fassbender, my mistake, Michael Shannon. And they were the parents of this really sick dying child who they took care of and they told him, never go outside. Outside is bad for you. And he... Uh, They live in the woods in this isolated cabin and you get the vibe that something's not right here. And this new family moves in down the road and the little girl is walking in the woods and sees, you know, another little boy through the window. And it's like, Hey, little boy, will you play with me? And the little boy is like, I can't outside's bad. And she's like, no, it's not. And he's like, yeah, you're right. It's not. So they start playing and uh, yada, yada, yada. You find out that this kid is not actually their kid. They kidnapped this kid to harvest his organs for their real son who's in the basement. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. So it took a dark turn. (laughs) That is insane. Mm -hmm. What movie is that? The Harvest. Wow. 70s, 80s? 2013. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Not bad. Um, I gave it a seven. It was a little slow, but that reveal was pretty big. I was like, whoa, all right. This is that kind of movie. Uh, I always love that when a movie's like something and then huge left turn and now it's something else. 
and you're like, oh shit, this is not what I signed up for, but I'm into this. <laughs> Those are always fun. Sometimes slow movies work. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> I just finished watching a slow movie that I don't want to badmouth because Austin really liked it, but I thought it was okay. And ah, not 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 the podcast for, for that. Mo- moving on. <laughs> Okay. I don't want, he's not here, so I don't want to say something bad about his movie. I'd feel bad. Um, let's talk about the score. Uh, James Newton Howard did the score. He does the music for a lot of M. Night Shyamalan's movies, particularly Signs and The Village, two scores that I adore. And his music in The Sixth Sense is creepy, but also really sad. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good balance. Yeah, I really like it. Um... I don't like when I don't like when there's a scary movie and there's like a scene where um, they just play super loud music to like make it seem scary. Um, Like, I don't know. I have a love hate relationship with that because in some cases I'll get scared and I'll be like, ah, they got me, you know, but like, and and in other cases it just sounds so stupid. I'm just like, because like the scene and the music, like the scene will be super stupid, but the music will be super scary. So it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> but um, I I like the sad sense sound of the score. I like that part a lot because whenever you hear it, you can probably remember Sixth Sense, you know? Yeah. So you're not a fan of the blah, as I call it. You know, the blah. <laughs> like, no. Not really, but I mean, how else are you going to scare people, I guess? I mean, there's other ways, but I guess back then we didn't really know how every every trick in the book. No, I think that happens more now than it ever has. I mean, look at, you know, films like Insidious, The Conjuring, as good as they are, they are so guilty of that. And um, I don't trust jump scares. Like I saw somebody uh, once online had said that a jump scare scaring you in a horror movie is the equivalent of a comedian making you laugh by tickling you. <laughs> like it's technically a, a win, but you didn't earn it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the conjuring sort of earns it because they use lighting as like a, a tech, a tactic to make you scared. They'll turn off the light, turn it on again. Then you don't know what's in the dark and then make you use your imagination and stuff. But yeah. I think it's smarter to, you know, build up to it, to freak an audience out by using atmosphere, music stings that aren't just, you know, in your face, jump scares. There's ways to do it. I've seen, you know, movies have done it for decades. Like a movie that I did really early on in the podcast called The Changeling uh, with George C. Scott. It was pretty good. There's a scene in that movie that is one of the scariest scenes ever. And it's all about implication. You don't see anything. You don't hear anything apart from a little giggle. But there's a, uh, his family gets killed in a car accident. He moves into a mansion and that's haunted. And he decides that the best thing he can do is move on. So he goes out to a bridge and tosses a little rubber ball over the side of the bridge. It's his, it was his daughter's favorite toy. Mm-hmm. So he goes home after that. He hears a giggle from upstairs and the ball falls down the stairs. Oh my God. Scared the hell out of me. I'm getting chills just talking about it. <laughs> That's smart filmmaking to make like that is a perfect scare like from beginning to end. So it is possible and it is I think that's the best way to do a horror movie is to try. I really like when they use camera angles and like in this movie you can see some of that like whenever they're walking or I think in one scene someone was hiding around a corner. Like you just see part of their face and I, I like when people do that to try to scare you. Like they use the walls or the, the camera movement, like they'll move it super slowly around the corner mm-hmm. because you don't know if they're going to like move the camera quick or like, you know, it's, yeah, I like that. The scene in Signs with the alien walking across, do you consider that a jump scare? Yes. <laughs> I would say yes. Now that, okay. Uh, okay, well, it's not jump scare because it's not trying to, because you know it's there. Well, I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> because all jump scares, you know it's there, but you don't know when it's going to appear. You know the alien's there, but you don't know what it's going to look like or what's going to happen, you know? So, like, 
I disagree because in 2002, I don't think anybody knew exactly what we were going to see. I don't think we knew we were going to see an alien. I thought, I think, or at least I remember thinking like, what, what is this? I was bored until that happened. I wasn't really oh. paying attention because I was seven years old at a move at a PG-13 drama horror that I didn't want to see. Well, maybe it's because like everyone, because I saw it later than you, maybe people would say, oh, it's an alien movie. And I'd be like, oh, okay. And then that's why. So yeah, I I understand that. So nobody knew what was going to be there. No, that was a huge, that's one of the top scares of the decade. Nobody really knew what to expect there. And the fact that you see it on like a handheld camera for like a second, it was just unheard of at the time. You know, it was, it was new and new scares people when it comes to horror movies. That's why the Blair Witch Project was such a hit because nobody had ever done a found footage horror film like that. You know, put you in their shoes, made you think it was real. So yeah, innovation is wildly important in horror movies. They handle it so realistically in that movie. <laughs> Blair Witch Project is one of my greatest regrets on this podcast because we did it. It was a good episode. The audio is so fucked up. It sounds like I'm, you know, we're talking... 50 feet away from the microphone. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. It's so creepy. It's, if you really want to maximize the fear on that movie, watch it alone in the dark. <laughs> okay. Because I'm going to be honest, I thought Signs was going to creep me out. It didn't. <laughs> but like, that's probably because of what I've been watching nowadays. So like, I will do that probably. And yeah. you know, that's ironic because it's an older film. And like with the films that you showed me, like, um, ah, what's it called? With uh, Winona Ryder in it. Um, Beetlejuice? Yeah, Beetlejuice. <laughs> Beetlejuice, that movie freaked me out. And then. Um, Back up. What ex- Beetlejuice freaked you out? Yeah, it's just one, one scene freaked me out. Like a lot, like more than, so- or sorry. Um, this movie did six cents dead. <laughs> was it was it the snake on the stairs? No. Oh. It was the closet part. When, when uh, she rips her freaking face yeah. off. What the hell is her name? Why am I Barbara? When Barbara rips her face off, that, that got you? Yes. Like <laughs> I think it's a body horror. Yeah. Body horror. <laughs> so. Fair enough. You know, I mean, it all is about circumstance sometimes you know you're thinking too hard you're not thinking hard enough it's horror can get you when you least expect it that's the whole point about being scared you know you don't expect to be scared i mean i guarantee you if i watched evolution for the first time today that monkey not going to do anything to me i guarantee you but six years old big screen not expecting it scarred for life so yeah it's making me think that horror is all just in your mind like maybe i got scared of that movie just because i put it in my head that i was going to be scared yeah horror is entirely psychological that's why what scares the hell out of you may not scare the hell out of me and what scares the hell out of me may not scare the hell out of you it's entirely subjective more than any other genre it's kind of amazing (laughs) Ah, we just made a major breakthrough all right (laughs) cool um, so a couple other scenes I like to bring up about Sixth Sense. Um, so Malcolm has been dead for about a year. That means he hasn't spoken with another human being in a year because nobody can see him. Mm-hmm. So how does he not realize that something's wrong? You ever been ignored by everybody for a year? doesn't happen. Uh, I feel like if you're, well, the movie did say you only see what you want to see. I feel like if you're in purgatory, you're almost like in a dream and you, you almost want to see what you want to see. Like in a dream, you see this kid and he's talking to you, but no one else is because he's your client, right? So of course he's going to talk to you. So I think they did really well with that. Um, I did... Okay, so here's what happened. I was watching the beginning. He gets shot. <laughs> I look over to who I'm watching the movie with. And I'm like, did he die? And he's like, just watch. Oh, well, that's the wrong answer. 
<laughs> and then <laughs> that's gonna ruin the, next, the whole movie. The next scene, he's alive, right? I think is this the same guy? Like, I'm <laughs> I'm confused as hell. I'm like, is this the same guy? I guess it is. I guess he's alive. And so, like, I'm sitting there watching him. He goes to dinner with, or, you know, misses dinner with his wife. She, it almost feels real, like he's actually there. Because she's at dinner. Why else would she be at dinner alone? So, like, I was like, okay, I guess he's alive. And then, yeah. So, the movie did well with making me believe he was alive. It's very well done in that respect. The one hole in it, I think, is the fact that he never talks to Cole's mom about anything because that's the biggest. Yeah. You can't just start talking to some kid as a child psychologist. You have to talk to their parents. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. So what they could have done is they could have made him talk to her, but she's so depressed or whatever, or she's so sad with the situation that she's like talking to herself. She's like, I don't know what to do anymore. You know, she could say stuff like that. And he'd be like, here, I'll help, you know, whatever. So I feel like they could have filled that hole maybe in one scene. Yeah. But yeah, I do see what you're saying. Like he didn't talk to anybody with the kids. So. They could have made the gift, pardon the pun, hereditary and had her also be able to talk to dead people and not realize it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't write the movies. I just talk about them. Um, The scene that really freaked me out uh, the first time I watched this was when, was the scene at the birthday party when Cole gets locked in the little room. I hate that scene. It reminds me of my childhood. Not that I got locked in things, but like, there's some mean kids, you know? Like, there were kids like that that were out in school. Kids are the worst. And this kid is just, you know, just to take a troubled kid and lock him in a room. But you are, like, you know, I think at that point, you don't know that this is a ghost movie if you haven't seen a trailer or ever heard about this movie. So that's kind of a big shock is hearing, like, weird, you know, disembodied voices coming from this closet and then the kid locked in there and freaking the fuck out. Like you paint your own mental picture of what's going on in there and it's not good. Yeah. I forgot what that ghost said, but like, yeah. do you remember what he said? Something like, you know, I, I, I did not drop the cup or I did not, I don't know. It was some, <laughs> Kind of like like a slave saying something about the mistress. I did not touch the ma- the master's horse or some shit. I don't remember, <laughs> but it was in that ballpark. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I saw this movie for the first time when I was about nine, I think. My, par- <laughs> I love my parents to death, but they did not make very good decisions on what to show me as a child. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had a lot of nightmares. As a kid, I still have a weird monkey issue I got to work through. Um, but the scene where um, Cole's in the tent and the flaps on the top of the tent start breaking and it pans down and there's a little girl with like shit falling out of her mouth. Whew, that wrecked me as, as a child. I, had to, I was like, I'm, I'm checking out. I didn't see the rest of the movie at that point. I was like, I'm out. And I walked out and had, a, had nightmares. Yeah, that's really freaky. If you don't know a lot about horror movies, like you, because believe me, if I would, okay, if I watched this movie like a year or two years ago, that scene probably would have, I would have been in the same boat as you. But I think doing this podcast has helped me a bit. And so, like, I didn't flinch. I was just like, oh, it's like she's vomiting or something. <laughs> I'm like, oh, she's sick. You know, she wants, she needs water. I don't know. <laughs> But this podcast, I am on the constant quest for something that's going to to freak me out. I want to be scared again. It's been a while. I I think the last movie on this podcast that really like got under my skin was either Itchy the Killer or The Brood, and those were like you know almost a year ago. I need I need some refreshment here, so I'm constantly trying to find stuff that I think is going to fuck with my head. Cause it's so rare. Cause I'm so desensitized and 
Oh, I'm getting there too. <laughs> Probably not because I haven't seen Saw. So Saws are that's nothing. I could watch Saw like in the middle of the night with a smoothie. It's nothing anymore. I know. To me, I can't. I would vomit that smoothie. No, Hostel. Yeah, that's a rough. That's a rough watch. That that I can't watch with food. But the Saw franchise, I find almost hilarious at times. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the new one. I'm going to be there as soon as, you know, it comes out. I will be there. Spiral, counting down the days. But um, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I've seen so many horror movies. I've seen them so many times. I know what to expect now. I can kind of tell when something scary is about to happen. It sucks. <laughs> I want to be scared. So I'll keep y'all updated on what I find because I am watching a lot of shit in my spare time too. So if I find something that, you know, freaks me out, makes me go into a friggin' coma, y'all be the first to know. I just reminisce about the times where, you know, I was a kid and these movies scared the absolute hell out of me. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be afraid of the Goonies. (laughs) How? Um, I think it was like the skeleton piano scene. I was like, oh my God, that's so scary. They're going to die. <laughs> I, I don't. She plays I, three I, notes, not even the full song and they're out. <laughs> yeah, that was always kind of cheap. There's no way those like ropes are holding up after like 500 years. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. The Goonies is awesome. One of my all-time favorites and not really that scary. Except for the deleted scene with the octopus. That was weird. What? Yeah. You ever notice at the end when they're like being interviewed by the local news that Data says the octopus was really scary and they're like, octopus? They left that in by accident because there was a scene in the movie where they, when they fall down the chute and end up in the water and they see the pirate ship, a giant octopus comes out of nowhere and tries to eat them. <laughs> oh, wow. And they only stop it by shoving a Walkman in its mouth. Because <laughs> this well, was the cool. 80s. I feel like they should have kept it. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know why they took that out, but didn't take out the line. <laughs> I love the Goonies. So, without further ado, the twist. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's only been, what, 20, 22 years <laughs> since this came out. And this that blew people's minds. This was like one of the biggest plot twists in history. Right up there with Luke, I am your father. Like this was crazy. Wow. I mean, yeah, this was, that's why M. Night became established as the director with the twist. Because every movie after this had a twist and some of them sucked <laughs> like the village gets a lot of shit i don't think it deserves that shit i think that movie's really good but have you seen that one Mm-mm. all right well the twist the twist in that one's i liked it a lot of people were were, were pissed they thought it was a cop-out wait is this one the one about the goat like the black goat the devil no, that's The Witch. That wasn't M. Night Shyamalan. Oh. The village is this people in like the 1870s living in, you know, harmony in this little village in the woods. And they don't allow the color red anywhere in the village. If they see red, they take it down, they lock it away. Because there are things in the woods that are attracted to red and will kill. And the whole movie is, you know, we love our village, we love our people, but do not speak of the things in the woods. Is this the one where the village is like in modern day? There you go. That's the movie. I haven't seen it, but I know the twist. Yeah. And there, yeah, there's no things in the woods. It's the local people. It's the village elders trying to keep people in line by dressing up in big costumes. That's crazy. And it turns out they're you know they're living in night in 2004. <laughs> That's so crazy. See, I thought that was cool, but a lot of people were like, "Bullshit! I wanted scary monsters." No, that's cool. Yeah, I thought so. So yeah, he's become that guy, the guy with the twist, because his first movie had such a massive twist that that became kind of his signature. Um, 
but I think it works. I think, you know, the ending of this movie, the, the, the double shotgun blast of Cole and his mom in the car and then Malcolm saying goodbye to his wife. I can't breathe at the end of this movie. I'm crying so hard. It's so sad. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful movie. I really like when her ring like falls off or something. Or was that his ring that fell off? I'm confused. It was it was his. His ring fell. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and then her breath was all cold. I was I think that that was the moment when she was like in the couch or the where she was sleeping. I think that was a moment where I thought maybe he's dead because that guy like just left her his house and she's asleep. Like she's not even worried that he's going to come back. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. The whole time you're thinking like, she's just a really mean wife, but no, she's in mourning. It really kind of puts the whole film in perspective. Like she's, she misses him like crazy and she can't move on. Like, and he can't move on because she's not, She's not okay. He can't move on until he helps Cole and he makes sure she's okay. That's all he wanted out of life, to help children and to make sure that she knew he loved her. Oh, God. That's super sweet. I'm getting, oh, it's coming back. I did think that she was bad because of the other guy. I did, like, I, because I thought he was alive, I thought she was being a bad wife and just, like, ungrateful so it got me it like it actually it's still even though i knew there was a twist it still got me even though yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing it's and i always forget the end of this film is so damn sad (laughs) and um yeah there's it's a wonderful movie if you haven't seen it check it out but well everyone knows what happened now (laughs) that's the thing everybody does know what happened because the phrase Bruce Willis was dead the whole time, became synonymous with the plot twist. You're the only person who somehow escaped that. (laughs) I almost got spoiled because before I watched this movie on Valentine's Day, um, my boyfriend was like, can we watch 50 First Dates? I was like, sure, I've never seen it. And and Sixth Sense is in that movie. Oh, shit. See, that's another thing you got to worry about. It became part of pop culture after that. Yeah. And I was like, what? why of all movies, Sixth Sense is in an Adam Sandler romantic rom-com movie? Because <laughs> it's so popular. I would have been so pissed if a week before we did this, you got the movie spoiled by watching an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so here are some filmgasm facts about The Sixth Sense. Number one, this was the first of two movies that Bruce Willis owed Disney, who produced this movie. Uh, through a shell company. Uh, Bruce Willis caused another production, the Broadway Brawler, to be shut down due to him firing the director. He also was paid $10 million, half of his usual salary at the time. So Bruce Willis is one of those actors who can just fire the director. He fired the director? Of a movie called the, what was it? The Broadway Brawler. And because he fucked up that production, he owed Disney two movies. One was The Sixth Sense, and I think the other one was The Kid. I might be wrong about that. But I think it's weird that Disney produced this. You don't see it. Like, it's weird. Yeah, Walt Disney Pictures is not on the, uh, the film because they have an image to maintain. Can't be making ghost movies. And uh, I think it was through Spyglass or Touchstone, one of those. But yeah, they're doing the same thing now through uh, Searchlight Pictures after they bought Fox. Number two, Tony Collette has said that she was so moved by the emotional resonance of the story while filming that she did not even realize it was a horror film until after its release. <laughs> she, wow. thought she, she thought she was making a movie about a single mom and her son just trying to get through, through life. She didn't realize she was making a ghost movie. <laughs> wow. Well, so like they don't tell the actors like what it's about. They just hand them the script and like, here you go, just be an actor, actress. Well, it depends on how involved they are. Like sometimes, you know, there'll be an actor will spearhead the project. They'll write, they'll direct, or they'll be, you know, super involved. Sometimes it's a paycheck gig and they just read their part. Depends on the actor, really. And I think that, you know, on paper, The Sixth Sense probably doesn't sound like a horror movie. It's all about direction and how they film it. 
I, th- I bet this became a horror movie during production. And uh, that's another thing that's really tough with horror is, you know, being scary is not easy. <laughs> it's scaring people is not easy. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, it's all about you know, a lot of goes into it. You know, the script, certainly actors, reactions, direction, camera angles, cinematography, digital effects. All of that has to work together to create a good scare. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. That's why I don't like when people just kind of shut horror out as just a, you know, not important genre. If anything, it's might be the most important considering how creative you really have to be to pull this off. True. <laughs> Number three, uh, this was the first of several horror films that would establish Tony Collette as a scream queen. She would go on to appear in high-profile horror movies Fright Night, Krampus, and Hereditary. So yeah, the mantle of scream queen is pretty cool to have. A actress who's appeared in a bunch of horror movies. What's a scream queen? <laughs> that an actress. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, because I was like, like, is she the queen of screaming? Like, <laughs> the term scream I like queen. How she, I do gotta say though, I like her screams because she's not like, ah, like in like you know in goofy scary movies where they like their screams last super long it's like okay we get it you're scared she's just like ah you know like ah, like a realistic scream (laughs) it's a that term kind of showed up in the 70s because a lot of actresses were doing similar productions and you know there's a way to label actresses who were doing a lot of horror movies like jamie lee curtis is probably the most famous scream queen you know halloween the fog prom night like she she did a lot. So it's still around. They did a TV show on MTV called Scream Queens. It was like a parody of movies like that. Didn't last very long. Um, number four, I thought this was very interesting. The Sixth Sense was the second highest grossing film of 1999 behind Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. So 1999, it was Star Wars and then it was The Sixth Sense. That's amazing that a horror drama was the second highest grossing film of the year. Wow. Yeah. Of course, back then, we didn't have, you know, three or four superhero movies coming out every week. And uh, <laughs> there wasn't, you know, Pixar was still figuring it out. Disney was kind of entering a slump. So Star Wars was kind of it that year <laughs> for, for big stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Um, it makes me wonder what other movies are coming out during this year. Um, is this the 90s or like? 99. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, 99, I think is one of the best years of film, but a lot of the films I like of that year weren't particularly successful. There were a lot of, you know, comedies and dramas and just stuff that resonated with me, but didn't really make back box office bucks. Like, you know, Galaxy Quest and Fight Club and Office Space and, some, you know, movies are like that. I give The Sixth Sense a nine. It's a phenomenal ghost story, but also a brilliant drama and character study. The ending gets me every time, and I highly recommend you all check it out if you haven't already. Um, I give The Sixth Sense an eight. Um, I think it's just because, uh, I don't know. I think it's really good. It's really like it's slow but it's slow in a good way it's not like slow where I'm like where's the fun part like no way like I I really like how the pacing is in this movie I like the actors and the actresses I love the story of um the therapist and um Tony Collette was great and the kid was really great he was like (laughs) I loved his facial expressions and how he was like he had so much emotion when he was like, I see dead people. Like he, he looked so nervous in his performances. Like he was nervous they're gonna come get him. It was so believable. So yeah. Um I think maybe I give it an eight just because like it didn't like wow me, but that's probably because I knew there was gonna be a twist. So yeah. Right on, right on. Yeah. Haley Joel is pretty remarkable in this film. A lot of, you know, a lot of kids aren't the best actors because they're children and they're still figuring it out, but some catch it almost immediately and are incredible at such a young age. He was 11 years old when he did this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's amazing. 
kid has an Oscar nomination at 11 years old. That's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that year, he could have won. I haven't seen Michael Caine in the Cider House Rules, but I personally, from that year, from the nominees, would have given it to Michael Clark Duncan for the Green Mile. But that is a conversation for Oscar Sunday. That's all for this week, ladies and gents. Hope you enjoyed it. It won't be the last time we talk about M. Night Shyamalan's work, that's for sure. Next week is very special. It's the two-year anniversary of the Filmgasm podcast. Last year, on our one-year anniversary, Austin and I redid the first episode of the show, The Shining, and talked about how far we'd come. This year, Austin will be returning to the show, where we will be doing a countdown of the 20 scariest movies we've covered on the podcast thus far. We'll also reflect on everything the Filmgasm team accomplished the past year, the new shows we've started, the friends we've added to the team, and what our hopes and plans are for the future. It's sure to be a blast. Don't miss it. Also, be sure to check out our look into John Cassavetti's drama Faces on Oscar Sunday and a fully loaded sneak preview on Monday. Until then, if you see dead people, you may be the only one who can help them find peace. See you next Wednesday, and keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.